The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Let me begin by just reading one verse for you that I think will kind of set the context for what I'll be saying tonight as well as tomorrow. And that's a famous verse I think we're all very familiar with from 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 reads, All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That is true in our age. That is true in ages past. And I think that you'll find that my two seminars are going to be a little bit different than what you heard from Dr. Garner. I will approach our topic from my own field, church history, in hopes of seeing how the Word of God was understood during different periods of the church and how that can still be something very important for us to learn even today. Let me begin with a word of prayer before we start, though. Let's pray together. Father, your word is inspired by you, given for us, that we, Father, may be conformed more into the image of your Son, that we might walk in the Spirit and know what your word says, which is true, trustworthy, and authoritative. Bless our time now, Father, as we look at the history of your church. May it be a profitable time to study and learn together. And to see, Father, how we can apply still the lessons of the past, even today. We thank you and pray this in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me begin with a quote from Professor David Steinmetz, who teaches church history at Duke Divinity School. And Dr. Steinmetz writes, The Bible was, in the fullest sense of the term, a 16th century It influenced European attitudes toward war and peace, the structure of civil government and the family, the process of human growth and development, theories of child-rearing and education, as well as attitudes toward economic relations and policies of taxation. The Bible was appealed to by people who loved the church and those who hated it. The Bible was on the lips of religious martyrs, Roman Catholic, Protestant, and Anabaptist, and on the lips of their executioners as well. In the judgment of 16th century Europeans, the Bible was worth both dying and killing for. What Professor Steinmetz is pointing out in this quote is the centrality of the Bible in the 16th century in Europe during the time when the Reformation was beginning, how important the Bible was for Christians at that time. And just to be fair, not just Protestants, Roman Catholics as well well during that time. And what I'd like to do in our time tonight, in this session, is to look at the 16th century 
and to see how Protestants understood the doctrine of Scripture at that time, to understand what they wrestled with, how they understood the Word of God, how they understood it in the context in which they were facing certain and specific challenges. And then to see what lessons we can learn from that as well. Now, as a way into the 16th century, many of you are probably familiar or have heard a lot this past year about John Calvin. We are celebrating Calvin's 500th anniversary of his birth this year. I have been to more Calvin conferences than I care to count this last year. Uh, Getting a little weary with Calvin, ready to move on to look at something else. But nevertheless, this year has been filled with Calvin celebrations. On one hand, I would say rightfully so. Calvin had a huge influence on the Reformation in his writing, in his pastoral work in the city of Geneva. And what I'd like to do tonight then is to spend time looking at what Calvin said about the doctrine of Scripture as it was so important for him, as it was so central to what he taught, what he preached, how he lived, and to see and understand the world that he was wrestling with as he tried to understand Scripture, as he tried to apply Scripture, and then again to begin to see what lessons we can learn from that. Before we look at Calvin, though, it's important for us to set the context, to understand the world that Calvin was living in. Like I said before, the Bible was the focus of all of the 16th century. Whether you want to talk about politics, whether you want to talk about economics, whether you want to talk about social, cultural issues, and of course religious issues, everyone turned to the Bible. Everyone looked at the Bible as their source, as their place of wisdom. And Calvin did as well. But in the context that Calvin was wrestling in, there were two things that we must keep in mind when we think about Calvin and Scripture. The first, of course, is that Calvin was a man who was constantly in debate. The period of the 16th century, Protestants had to justify their break with the Roman Catholic Church. As a result of that, they were always on guard and defensive Yet at the same time, searching scripture to show and justify what they were doing. And as a result, you can see in their writings, the constant back and forth with Roman Catholic theologians, always engaging, always debating. And of course, when it comes to the doctrine of scripture, this was very important. Because when you approach the issue of authority, as Calvin was holding to the authority of scripture, He was in a context, again, in which he was debating Roman Catholic theologians who, in essence, had two authorities. Yes, they looked to the Scripture as their ultimate authority, but there was also a second authority that they would turn to. And that authority was the Pope, the leader of their church, who had the power to interpret Scripture infallibly that he would teach the church and what he taught was as if Jesus Christ were teaching you from his very mouth. And there were two sources of authority that the Roman Catholic Church presented and Calvin had to think about this issue of Scripture's authority always with the pressure of Roman Catholicism and their understanding of the role of the Pope as the 
true interpreter, really the supreme interpreter of Scripture. Now, on the other hand, there's another issue we have to keep in mind alongside of the Roman Catholic Church, because by the time of Calvin, there were already Protestants who had differences among them. Most famous, that great debate between Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli over the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, in which they could not agree on their views of the Lord's Supper that ultimately led to them parting of ways, their parting of ways. Arguably, I would say historically, what they were trying to do was to build an alliance between the Swiss Reformation and the German Reformation, particularly because it had political implications. The Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic nations were not sitting by idly allowing Protestants just to leave. War was beginning. One can almost argue that there was a century of religious wars begun in the 16th century over doctrines that separated Protestants from Roman Catholics. So that the attempt there between Luther and Zwingli was to combine their forces somehow in order to confront and defend against the onslaught of Roman Catholicism, both theologically as well as on the battlefield. But as the two of them met in that great debate, they walked away without a meeting of the minds. And in the end, one can argue that as a result of that, Zwingli's own death on the battlefield without military support. So we can see that there was debate already even within Protestantism. And Calvin had to wrestle with that as well. Not only the Roman Catholic Church on one side, but also Protestants who disagreed. And of course, Calvin had to appeal to Scripture as he was engaging even other Protestants in terms of what the Bible taught and said. Now, in that context then, we can begin now to explore what Calvin thought about the Bible and about Scripture. And let me begin with a very, what we might think to be simple, but I would argue profound statement from Calvin. Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture is the Word of God. Now, for many of us, who've probably grown up in either an evangelical or evangelical reformed church or context, that doesn't surprise us. Of course we believe that. Of course that is the orthodox Christian understanding of the Bible as the Word of God. Scripture is the Word of God. But don't go over and pass by that phrase too lightly. Calvin is pointing to a profound theological fact when he states that Scripture is the Word of God. What Calvin is pointing to when he describes Scripture as the Word of God, he is identifying Scripture as the Word of God. Scripture is the Word of God. And what he's pointing to, that phrase, Word of God, is something that is more basic if I can describe it that way, to what Scripture is. Now, that might sound a little confusing here, but I'm trying to make a distinction that Calvin makes when he talks about what is more basic. The category for him that is most basic is Word of God. Word of God. The Word of God comes from God. And therefore, it bears the very character of God. It is trustworthy. 
It is true. It is authoritative. Because it is God's word. And scripture as word of God then must also bear those same characteristics. Trustworthy and true and authoritative. But at the same time, Calvin can make a distinction between scripture and the word of God. How so? Why is the word of God a more basic category? You see, because Calvin would describe that God has given his word before. Before he gave scripture in the written form that we have in our Bible here. There was a word of God given to Adam and Eve that Dr. Garner talked about. When God said to Adam, from any tree of the garden you shall eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, and the day you eat of it you shall surely die. That is a word of God given to Adam and Eve. That is true, that is trustworthy, that is authoritative. At the same time, we get examples in which God also gives his word prior to this scripture, as he gave, for instance, the Ten Commandments to Moses, written by the finger of God. That again is a word of God given to Israel in the form of law that bears again the same characteristics. It is true, it is trustworthy. It is authoritative. We can point to the prophets of the Old Testament as well. As they spoke, thus saith the Lord, God was giving his word there to the people of Israel through the prophets. And once again, true, trustworthy, authoritative. Right? That's how you will know if he's a true prophet or not. If his word is true, and if it comes to pass, trustworthy and authoritative. And you better listen to that prophet now. You see, these are forms of the word of God given as we know them in the Old Testament prior to this form of the word of God. Given now in its inscripturated form. You following the difference here that Calvin is describing? Word of God now is the most basic category that can take on different forms as we've just described in the Old Testament that ultimately now finds its form here with us inscripturated in the Old and New Testament. It is the Word of God and it is true and it is trustworthy and it's authoritative. In the context of the Roman Catholic debates, this is what Calvin stood on. The Pope is not someone who always speaks truth, who can always be trustworthy, and therefore cannot be absolutely authoritative. For Calvin, it is Scripture and Scripture alone, because it is the Word of God. In the same way as Calvin was debating other Protestants, where did he appeal? Where did he go to debate other Protestants in terms of the grounds of their debates? He did not turn to philosophical texts. He did not turn to other human writings. Ultimately, though they served their purpose to help us understand the word of God, this was the ultimate authority. That if you were going to debate Calvin, even amongst Protestants, it was a debate centered on how we understand scripture. Because it is the word of God. Because it is true, trustworthy, and authoritative. For Calvin, then, to understand the Word of God 
in this inscripturated form is important because that's what makes this book, again, true, trustworthy, and authoritative. It is the Word of God. Now, Calvin recognizes as well that understanding this book will take some effort, hard study. It's not something that can be always easily understood. Yet at the same time, he understood it to be a unique book. Now, as I said before, the scriptures, the Bible was the center of European life in the 16th century. But Calvin was aware that his world was larger than just Europe. There were other religions as well. There was Judaism at the time. That, of course, would only appeal to the Old Testament as their scripture. There was Islam already emerged from the medieval period into the 16th century in which they appealed to the Quran as their scripture, as their authoritative word. Calvin understands that there is something unique about scripture as the word of God. And he begins to explain why that is unique. What is so unique about Scripture? And for Calvin, what he does is he ties then the work of the Holy Spirit very closely with the work of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit, for Calvin, is very important in terms of understanding the relationship of Scripture as the Word of God. For Calvin, he writes in his Institutes, there is a mutual bond that the Lord joined together the certainty of His Word and of His Spirit, so that the perfect religion of the Word may aid in our minds when the Spirit who causes us to contemplate God's face shines, that we may turn and may embrace the Spirit with no fear of being deceived when we recognize Him in His own image, namely, in the Word. Calvin is tying very closely together the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Holy Spirit, God Himself, very much then a part of how we understand the Word of God. Well, how so? The first thing Calvin points to is because Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The human authors of Scripture that inscripturate, that write down the Word of God The Holy Spirit is active in that process because it is the Holy Spirit that inspired these human authors to write the Word of God. For Calvin, he understands the role of the Spirit here, and he understands it in a very sophisticated way. Calvin does not believe that the Spirit somehow dictated these words through these human beings as if they were a secretary just writing down whatever the Spirit told them to say. Calvin understood that the Spirit used the human characteristics, background, training of these human authors. Nevertheless, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that inspires them using all of their human backgrounds, characteristics, training to produce the inscripturated Word of God. And that act of inspiration through the human authors produces then a word of God that once again, for Calvin, is true, trustworthy, and authoritative. 
The process in which the Word of God is inscripturated is done by the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiration. And it gives us God's Word once again. And for Calvin, this was very important to understand how intimate the Spirit is and was in terms of the production of the Word of God in its inscripturated form. So, the work of the Spirit then demonstrates for Calvin in the doctrine of inspiration that this book comes from God, is God's Word, because by the work of the Holy Spirit, God is the author. God is the author. It comes from God. It was written by God. But Calvin recognizes that there was dual authorship in this form of the Word of God. You see, when you look in the Old Testament, right, in the other forms of the Word of God that we described, God spoke to Adam and Eve. And there's nothing in the account that says that God had someone else write it down for Adam and Eve to read. When we hear about the Ten Commandments given, it is written by the finger of God. Those forms of the Word of God being communicated directly. This form now, coming through the writing of human authors, yet at the same time is still the Word of God because it comes from God and we can be sure, as Calvin was sure, that God is the author of this book. Yet at the same time, we can say that he used these secondary authors. He used them with all of their skills to produce this Word of God. For Calvin, then, the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiration produces the Bible, which again bears the same characteristics. And though Calvin doesn't use the term, the concept is there that the inscripturated Word of God is inerrant without error. Because when the Holy Spirit is working in inspiration to produce the Word of God in order for it to be true and trustworthy, it must bear the characteristics of the true and trustworthy God. And that God does not deceive, He does not lie, He does not err. And if He is the author of this book, then this book cannot err as as well. You see Calvin's logic here as he understands the work of the Holy Spirit in the doctrine of inspiration. But there's another aspect in which Calvin discusses the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of the doctrine of Scripture. Calvin describes then that the Scripture is the Word of God. But, the next question one would ask, but how do you know it is the Word of God? Okay, you say it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but how do you know that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Read the pages of it. There's the characteristics of human authors. Sounds like a human book. Portions of it written by some man named Paul. Portions of it in poetry written by some king named David. It looks very much like a human book. How do you know that this is the Word of God and that it comes from God? Calvin gives two arguments. The first, he says, is because Scripture says it's the Word of God. Calvin describes this as Scripture Scripture is self-authenticating. Meaning that Scripture tells us it is the Word of God. Professor John Murray, who taught 
at Westminster describes the teaching of Calvin in this way. There is, for Calvin, an intrinsic authority of Scripture. An intrinsic authority of Scripture. Meaning that Scripture is the Word of God because it says it's the Word of God whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe it or not, Scripture is the Word of God because it says it's the Word of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds very circular in terms of arguments. Proving something by itself. But if this comes from God, what other appeal or higher authority can you turn to but the very Word of God itself? And so on one hand, Calvin has no problem using what we might describe as a circular argument because he says, this is from God. It tells us it's from God. Whether we believe it or not doesn't change the fact that it's from God. But at the same time, Calvin says, the work of the Holy Spirit isn't done. Because the work of the Holy Spirit comes to you through the Word to regenerate you so that you will believe in it. Calvin is, it's kind of ironic to say, a good Calvinist. (laughs) He believes that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will regenerate you and bring you to new life and cause you to believe and cause you to trust. The Spirit who inspired those human authors is now the same Spirit that regenerates you and draws you to believe in His Word. Now, for Calvin here, again, you can see this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to be prepared in season and out of season, and we must give a justification for the faith within us. But at the same time, Calvin would argue, in the gospel, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that draws people to God. It is not our human persuasiveness. It is not our eloquent speech. It is not our emotional appeals. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that will make dead people alive. And once that happens, then yes, you will believe that this is the Word of God. So Calvin says the Holy Spirit is active in inspiring these human authors to produce Scripture. The Holy Spirit is at work to regenerate you to believe in this word of God and he's not done because the Holy Spirit continues to work in your life by illuminating you to understand more and more the breadth and depth of his word when you study scripture when you hear sermons when you read books about scripture as you wrestle with the deep issues of God's word you are not alone believers Calvin says the Spirit is teaching you. The Spirit is illuminating you. The Spirit is still at work in you through the Word. So you can see for Calvin how intimately tied this is, the work of the Spirit, in giving us Scripture, in calling us to believe in Scripture, regenerating us, and in illuminating us and teaching us still what Scripture says, and how we ought to understand this even more. For Calvin, of course, in his context, once again, this is a very important issue. 
A very important issue in terms of rightly interpreting Scripture. Roman Catholic Church, of course, says we have a infallible interpreter. The Pope is the one who interprets for us and can do so without error. Calvin says no. We have to understand that it's the Spirit that teaches us. And he teaches every Christian. Helps us to understand the Word of God. More and more. But Calvin understands also that we still are in sin. And therefore our own sinfulness sometimes clouds our understanding. Gets in the way of how we understand God's word. And therefore it is to be done in the context of other believers. I am convinced that for Calvin, reading and understanding scripture is not a individual event. That's not to say that individuals shouldn't read Scripture. Don't get me wrong here. Don't get Calvin wrong here. It's not to say that individuals shouldn't read Scripture. Calvin was very much in favor with the other reformers of translating Scripture into the common languages of their time so people could have access to Scripture to be able to read it. But at the same time, Calvin believes it's important to come and hear the preaching of God's Word, to come and learn from teachers in the church who God has gifted to teach and to preach, to learn together, because we all struggle with our sin. And we all can at times misunderstand God's Word. Yet the Spirit has not left us alone. The Spirit is still working in us and through His Word to teach us, to instruct us, to correct us, to reprove us. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit in us and in the church. Calvin writes, God sent down the same Spirit by whose power he had dispensed the word to complete his work by the efficacious confirmation of the word. Confirming that word to you. Confirming that word to you so that you would believe it, understand it, Obey it. Because it is true, trustworthy, and authoritative. I keep saying that over and over again. Because that's one thing I want you to walk away from. To take with you as you are hearing about Calvin. I think that's what Calvin would want you to hear. If he were teaching you about his understanding of the doctrine of Scripture. To recognize that even in his own context, in which that was a struggle, that is what he stood on. The Word of God. The Word of God that has been given through the Holy Spirit, in which the Holy Spirit testifies to, in which we, like Calvin, can have confidence in. Now, it's interesting to see the development that comes out from Calvin's writings in the history of the church. Particularly, I would say, as we look at those who follow in the heritage of Calvin, in which I would include us today, that very much that understanding of Scripture as the Word of God is carried forward by those who follow the teachings of Calvin. I'll give you one example. In the 17th century, the Puritans, some of you may have read or heard about, the 17th century English Puritans, who were seeking to reform the Church of England at that time, 
were likewise involved in understanding the doctrine of Scripture. So much so that when they met as an assembly, their leading pastors and theologians at the Westminster Assembly in the 17th century, they produced a document that was their confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in that confession, the very first chapter they wrote, that they put in that confession, is on the doctrine of Scripture. Once again, I would say demonstrating, as it was in the 16th century, it was in the 17th century, Scripture was at the center of what they were doing. Scripture was at the center of what they believed. And as they wrote their confession, we see in their language as well, their dependence on men like John Calvin for their understanding of the doctrine of Scripture. Once again, you see in the Westminster Confession the language that Scripture is the Word of God because God is its author in chapter 1. The authority of Scripture for the writers of the Westminster Confession, the authority of Scripture is grounded once again in the fact that Scripture is the Word of God because God is the author. And they point to that, and I would say that points back to Calvin. But Calvin said the same thing. Scripture is the word of God because God is the author and therefore it is authoritative. And the 17th century likewise insisted upon that. Likewise affirmed that as well. They understood that Scripture was inspired, yes, by the Holy Spirit. They understood that it was through the instruments of human secondary authors that we received this inscripturated word of God. But nevertheless, they ground the authority of Scripture in it being the Word of God. God's Word. The 17th century insisted upon that as well. It is interesting to see that in chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession, there is very little discussion of the human authors of Scripture. You don't see the divines talking so much about the function of of the secondary human authors in the production of Scripture, though it upholds that, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, produced through human authors. But I think there is a reason why the divines did not spend a lot of time talking about the secondary human authors, because they understood, first and foremost, that Scripture was authored by God, that He is the primary author, And therefore, to talk about the authority of Scripture, you cannot ground it in human authors. To say that the authority of Scripture is grounded somehow in the human authors, well, what better, how is that better than what the Roman Catholic Church is saying? By grounding Scripture and authority in both. For the divines, authority is not grounded in the human authors. It is grounded in Scripture as the Word of God in the language of the Confession Because God is truth itself. Once again, the logic is there. God speaks truthfully here without error because it is the word of God, because it comes from God, who is truth itself. The 17th century affirms, then, I would argue, what Calvin has described, and therefore trace we can trace this kind of theological genealogy from Calvin to the 17th century. Now, the question is today, is that still important for us? Should we still continue 
to understand Scripture as the Word of God and ground our understanding of Scripture as the Word of God in order to once again maintain my Calvin and the Westminster Divines that this is a trustworthy and true Word of God that we still can say is authoritative for everyone. Can we still say that today? Dr. Garner pointed out that the evangelical world is facing a battle right now. A battle that I would argue challenges that very statement. We are seeing, and particularly at the seminary where we wrestle with a lot of the kind of latest theological writings and ideas that are being produced, we are seeing an increasing number of authors writing about the doctrine of Scripture and setting the context for the doctrine of Scripture, saying that we evangelicals need to revise our understanding of the doctrine of Scripture. Particularly saying that the doctrine of inerrancy is one that we must revise. We've got to go back and change it. Now, why would they say that? Part of what we are seeing in terms of the development of this new school of thought is the center, or I should say the central focus of these new studies is on the humanity of Scripture. By that, these theologians and biblical studies professors are arguing that we must pay careful attention, more careful attention, to the human authors of Scripture. And the reason they're saying that is because they believe that what has happened, say, from the 16th century or the 17th century when Calvin and the Divines were writing to the 21st century today, there has been an increased amount of material, particularly archaeological as well as textual, that is telling us more about, for instance, the ancient Near Eastern world that the Old Testament comes from, the second temple Judaic world that the New Testament comes from. And many of them are arguing that when you compare these other writings from either the ancient Near Eastern period or the second temple Judaic period, you see how very similar, for instance, the Genesis account is to other creation accounts written by other cultures at that time. Or when you compare the writings of the Apostle Paul to other Judaic Rabbis writing at the same time as Paul, you see how similar Paul is to these other Jewish teachers. And as a result of that, many are saying, do you not see how human this Bible really is? So much so that some are pressing the point that they are saying that this explains what they would say are errors in the Bible. Because human beings err. Because human beings are fallible. And therefore, as human beings wrote Scripture, their humanness is exemplified here. And we can see that in the contradictions and errors found here. Therefore, you see many of them speaking in these sorts of terms. God-inspired, inerrant Bible. Yes, it still comes from God, they would say. Yes, it still comes from God's inspiration. But he inspires intentionally a Bible through the human authors that is errant, that can have errors in it. 
And they would have you believe that's okay. That you can still view this book as trustworthy and authoritative, even with its errors. But if you follow what Calvin and what the divines taught in the 16th and 17th century, that if God inspires human authors to produce His Word, it must bear the same characteristics of God who is the author. And God does not err. God does not speak in lies or deception. The only way you can know that this Word of God is trustworthy and you can believe it with confidence is that if it speaks truth, truth without error. That is the only way that we can go out in the world today when there are so many things competing for our attention, wanting us to believe, wanting us to obey. How can Scripture, how can Christianity stand unless we have the true Word of God that speaks truth to us, just as it did in the 17th century, just as it did in the 16th century. If it is the Word of God, let me add one more thing, then like God, its message can transcend every time and every period of church history. As it was true for the first century Christians, it is true for us today that we can believe that God has spoken to us and given us a trustworthy word to be believed, to be followed. I am convinced that this is only the beginning. That what we are seeing in this rise of scholarship, like it always happens, see this is the dangerous part, I think, in terms of being a seminary professor working at academic institutions. When you see these latest thoughts, you can anticipate within the next 5, 10, 15 years, it will trickle down. It will trickle down to our churches. It will trickle down to our Christian schools. It will trickle down to our families. As your children go off to colleges, as we continue to see the advancement here, it is time. Once again, I think, to fight for the Bible. It's not the first time the church has had to do it. Probably won't be the last time either. But it's our time now. And we would hope that as we continue to explore aspects of the doctrine of Scripture in God's Word with you this weekend, that you would feel this urgency, but that you would walk away with confidence that entering into this battle is one in which we know that our God is victorious. I hope that tomorrow that we will spend more time looking at this and that we would continue to see from the Bible as Dr. Garner continues to teach us and from church history as other saints have wrestled with this same issue that it would be an encouragement for you and I, for you and me today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again that we have your word. That you have not left us alone. That you have given us your word through the work of your spirit. And that we can have confidence in it. That we can know that you have given us a trustworthy word 
that teaches us, that leads us, that guides us, that tells us where our very life is hidden in Christ. We pray, O Lord, that we would meet this challenge, that we would be faithful, that we would have courage, that we would know, Father, that we stand on something that is unswerving and that we would continue to know that the Spirit is still at work today in and through your word. Thank you again for this opportunity. We pray your blessing upon us this evening and tomorrow. We pray this evening through Jesus Christ. Amen.